0: Hello, this is Alyssa. And this is Brooke. And welcome to For God's sake, Don't Drink the Tontus. Do we sound like that? Do episode you? number 24. Wow, 24. Yeah, I'm getting up there. A jerk. I feel like we like say that every time. <laughs> we do. <laughs> But, you know, eventually we get so many that, like, <laughs> we won't even be able to keep counting anymore. Just welcome to another episode. Where are okay, you um, before we jump into this, do you have anything you want to talk about? What did you do today? <laughs> what
1: did you do today, Ansley? In <laughs> crowd. No. Where are those markers
0: at? You better not <laughs> insert this on your next episode <laughs> of the podcast as the open. <laughs> This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
1: we're recording now oh. and i just wanted to say that that was scotty Marillo <laughs> making her opening for us um i babysat aunt or uh, brooke's daughter <laughs> while her and aaron went out on a vacation and scotty was just playing around and he made that so
0: and uh, for, for <laughs> you guys that do not know who scotty murillo is that is Alyssa's fiance.
1: Beyonce and my brother yeah (laughs) complete goofball so it's great i cracked up the whole time when i heard it yeah we listened to it a few (laughs) times um also he says you better not put that as the opening for your next episode but what he really meant by that was please (laughs) do it (laughs) so we did it that's
0: exactly what that meant (laughs) that's great i love it hope
1: you guys enjoyed that as
0: much as we did yeah (laughs) it's very funny and that just, like, shows, like, thank you, Scotty. Like, you legit listen to us. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, honestly, he got all of it but, right. Like, spot on. I feel like we say this, like, every time. Because oh, we do say that every time. <laughs> I like the little laughs he added in there. Man. Oh, okay, well... Anyways, um, I'm excited for this episode. Brooke has got a very, very good story to tell today, and of I course, do. mine is the continuation of Scientology. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry we missed you guys last week, but um, we just needed a little holiday
0: breather. Yeah. Yes, we so did. hope it everybody was like, had a happy Thanksgiving.
1: Yes, happy belated Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, it was, like, on Saturday night, and I, like, got out my, my laptop to finish my research, and I just wasn't feeling it the <laughs> next day. I, I just was like, oh, my God, I'm dreading this so much. I was just – I don't know. Sometimes you just need
0: a break even from the things you love. Yeah.
1: And like, you know, we've said this before. It's not. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. Like you would think that it would be easy because when you're listening to it, Mm -hmm. you just hear us talking about it and that's it. But a lot goes into this. So
0: I think like both of our men are like, why does it take six hours to record an hour and a half episode? Why don't you sit up here with us? for the six hours we're doing this like we're not
1: just up here fucking around (laughs) especially when we first started oh my my god God. and i was like not good at editing yet and i was having so many troubles sitting 16 feet away
0: from the microphone
1: (laughs) yeah oh gosh we've definitely gotten better yeah more efficient even though it does take us like six hours (sighs) plus we're like human Mm -hmm. so like we have to pee and get drinks and Smoke like cigarettes and, and just, you know, chill for a second. Because, I mean, we literally will talk for an hour straight, mm-hmm. which, again, doesn't seem that hard, but it can be. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: one thing we do want to discuss, it is about time for the January through March 2021 ads. Um, we've come up with some new pl- uh, new pricing this year. Yeah, this year this year Um, (laughs) not much more than last year but um, we do want to discuss that a little bit if you guys want ads I know um, last year or this year I guess we weren't able to get everybody in that wanted to have an ad because just so many people wanted an ad Um, so we are taking submissions for 2021 these will air January through March Um, pricing so we're doing this a little bit different but if you would like an ad at the beginning or the end of the podcast, one ad is going to cost you $25. Three is $60. Five is $100. Um, now, we will be doing two ads per episode um, in 2021. So if you want a middle spot, which, if we're being honest here, more people are going to listen to the middle
1: yeah.
0: um ad than the first. A lot of people hear an ad coming, you know, at the beginning of an episode and skip it. We're Mm -hmm. all guilty of that. So it's a little more pricey, but not much. One ad for the middle of the podcast will be $35, um, three ads for $90 and five for one fifty. Um you will have until the end of December to pay for this. We'll also be posting in our groups, you know, just a little um kind of thing, you know, showing how much everything is and if you have any questions you can reach out to either one of us um make sure when you let us know you know if that you want an ad if you have any promo codes you would like us to list um anything special you want included in your ad please let us know when we speak to you
1: um if you are purchasing an ad on facebook message me Mm -hmm. Alyssa. Mm -hmm. if on instagram I mean, you can message either one of us, but, you know, you can reach Brooke on Instagram mm-hmm. and not Facebook. So don't message her <laughs> Facebook Messenger because it will not go through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just let us know.
0: Um, again, you have until the end of December to get those paid for. Um, I was going to say something. I don't remember what. Uh, so do
1: either. But let us know. I'm excited for this new year.
0: Oh my god! I was just telling Aaron last night, like twenty twenty can suck a fucking duck, dude. Like, I'm so over it.
1: I am too. It has been
0: literally the worst year of my entire life.
1: Honestly, same. I I like it. Ugh. My year started off really bad. Yeah. And then things just kept piling on and on and on, and I just was like, this has probably been one of the most stressful years, Honestly. for sure, of my entire life. It's been insane isn't it funny though how we just expect well when it's 2021 everything's going to be different no it it might be the same <laughs> who knows but because you know the year changed yeah. you
0: know in a matter of a minute so everything's completely <laughs> different now you know no but for real 2020 can just fuck itself
1: i mean you know the the year's almost you know over we have like a month left and you know the new year brings new holidays new changes new things to happen um, will definitely most likely be st- still dealing with covid for the next however many years but Ugh. you know it, it's actually insane to me because okay as you know brooke i live in a very small town mm-hmm. and these people in this town they don't really no. wear masks or anything like that you don't wear masks in the country they, really like you never see anybody no, wearing a mask and so like in in where i live it's like Normal, You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean, not the school systems. You know, you're required to wear a mask to the school. Oh, when and Aaron and I were in the mountains, nobody wore them. Yeah. Nobody. It's weird. But um, me and my sister, Autumn, went to um, Bath and Body Works yesterday. And we had to wait outside in a line, you know, with our masks on. And there was a lady outside handing out, you know, Bath and Body Works uh, bags that you would, you know, put all your, mm-hmm. like, perfumes and candles in and whatnot, and she sprayed your hands with hand sanitizer, and, you know, you had to wait your turn, and everybody was social distance, and it was, I mean, I guess I never... I mean, obviously, I, I knew the impact that COVID had. I mean, there's been a lot of deaths and whatnot. But when you live in like such a small town, you don't really see the extent of it until
0: you <laughs> go weird. 20 miles down the road and you're like, whoa.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. It was it was definitely crazy. So yeah. Stay safe. Wear your masks. We social distanced for Thanksgiving. We, Did you? Yeah, we ate outside at cool. a, on a really long table with my family. And um, my grandma had, uh, so she she has a really big front porch. Mm-hmm. And she set up a bunch of like, you know, long tables. And she decorated it really pretty. And she put lamps on the table so we could have some light. and Cute. I had a very good Thanksgiving. Actually, it was probably one of the best Thanksgivings I've had That's in great. a very long time. Well, I'm very glad. I hope you all had a very good one, too. Yes. I feel very thankful. <laughs> thankful. All right. Well,
0: with all of that being said, are we ready? I'm ready if you are. All right. So I will be going first today. Um, so this is a tough one. It's going to be a tough one for a lot of people, I think. And, um... I do want to mention before I get started, for whatever crazy reason, there is still a lot of, like, glorification Mm -hmm. um, regarding this particular um, massacre. And I don't really understand it. And I just want to make it known that that is not at all what I am doing here. Um, I am talking about a horrible, horrible tragedy, and there's nothing cool or, you know, um, I don't know. There are still people
1: that, like, admire
0: the people that did this oh yeah it's horrifying
1: yeah i've seen like clothing lines dedicated to it fucking insane dude
0: so anyway i'm sure as you guys know because you've probably looked at the
1: the title title,
0: (laughs) i will be talking about the columbine high school massacre um so i learned a lot while researching this case and Things that I never knew, you know. Um, I think everybody remembers the Columbine school shooting. Everybody. And if you don't remember it, it's because you were too young, but you've heard of it.
1: I was too young, but I have heard of it. Everybody knows. Everybody. I know about it, yeah.
0: I was in middle school, and it was either 7th or 8th grade. I am not sure. I want to say it's 8th because I'm pretty sure it's the year before I started high school. But I could be wrong. It was one of those. How old were you when
1: you graduated high school?
0: So I was 18. You were 18? So yeah.
1: It was probably seventh grade. Seventh then grade. Because yeah. 99, I would
0: have been 13. You're
1: 14 in high school or in right. eighth grade, and then you're 14 turning 15 in middle yeah. school. So seventh
0: grade. Yeah. So um, I watched a documentary about this um, on YouTube, and it was by Real Crime, and it was called The Murder at Columbine High School. And I also read countless online articles. Like I researched my booty off.
1: Which, okay. This is slightly off topic, but I think they make a reference to Columbine in American Horror Story in Murder House. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. It's been years since I've watched it. But if um, I know there was a guy who did a school shooting in Murder House and a lot of their um, uh, like the bad things that happen or the, the horrors are like horrors that you face in reality or horrors that have happened in real life. So I think that it might have been a reference to that. So well, you know, "Pumped Up Kicks" is about Columbine. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my god.
0: Does it make sense now when you listen, hear the lyrics in your head?
1: Yeah. Ew. Yeah. That's horrible. Isn't it? Honestly, you didn't know that. No. Yeah. But it does make sense. Yeah. Oh my
0: god. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying about like glorifying.
1: You know. Why do people do that? I don't know. I don't know. Why do they do that? Oh my
0: god. That's sick dude. So, anyway, um, first thing I'm going to do here is talk about the perpetrators. Okay. And I did a lot of research on these two. I did a lot of um, the psychology behind these two. It's just, it's fucking wild. So, first, we're going to talk about Eric David Harris. Um, he was born on April 9th, 1981. And uh, Dylan Bennett Klebold the other, uh, was born September 11th, 1981. Um, I, well, so Harris and Klebold were 17 and 18 and they were both high school seniors, uh, when they went on to murder 13 people and wound 24 others. Dude,
1: they were so close to being done. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Like what the
1: fuck? Um,
0: so they murdered 13 and wounded 24 others at their school, Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. Um, This was well known as the deadliest and most devastating school shooting in history at the time. Um, So the good friends met when they were in the seventh grade. By the time they were juniors, they were just inseparable. Harris was the talkative and volatile one, while Klebold was shy and reserved. But even with them being polar opposites, personality-wise, they did share a lot in common.
1: Yeah, like wanting to murder people. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, they shared a love of video games and computers. Um, They shared a hate of the school jocks and anyone that they considered to have done them wrong. Now, this is an interesting fact. I had no idea. I think everybody thinks of Columbine and they think of like this, like, revenge of the nerds type thing. You know what I mean? But listen to this shit. And I will say a lot of this info I read was conflicting, so I'm going to do the best that I can here. Mm -hmm. Um, But general consensus says what I'm about to tell you is true. So these boys were not unpopular. And they really weren't bullied. Um, Sometimes they were teased, you know, like a lot of kids are, but not bullied. And actually they were the bullies.
1: I would believe that. So that blew my
0: mind because I always, again, I thought like revenge of the nerds, like we're losers. We're going to, you know, hurt all the popular kids. That's just Mm -hmm. what I
1: always thought. The two fuckers from the scream murder. Yeah. They, that's how they viewed it, too. Mm-hmm. That's a, mm-hmm. And th- that's how they wanted mm-hmm. to be as well. So So
0: I was very wrong there. Like, I just always thought they were losers and just, you know, hated the jocks. Which they did hate the jocks, but it wasn't
1: because they were bullied by the jocks. If you're not a jock, you hate jocks. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so...
0: They were both involved in school activities, out-of-school activities. They were both in a bowling league, and they worked part-time jobs at
1: a pizza shop. Um, they, I'm going to grab that blanket really fast, but keep talking. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, from their journals, which parts of were eventually released to the public, Harris and Klebold began planning their attack, which they called, quote, Judgment Day, almost a year and a half earlier.
1: So, premeditation a Very,
0: very much premeditated. Throughout that time, Harris and Klebold built explosives and bombs, and they gathered their weapons. What's his last name? Klebold? Klebold. What an ugly last name. Yeah. yeah. Ugly souls. Also. So, Harris and Klebold left behind several journal writings and home videos foreshadowing the massacre and explaining their actions and what they hoped to accomplish. So, like this great murder. Yep. They wanted to kill hundreds of people at the school, and they hoped to earn fame and get vengeance against those that they hated. So, there's a popular misconception that Harris and Klebold were part of a clique in school called, do you remember this? Mm-mm. So, I always thought this, I feel like most people thought this, but everybody thought that they were in the trench coat Mafia.
1: Does that sound familiar now? Uh the only thing I know about Columbine is the thing with Cassie. That's okay. the only thing that I I didn't know how many people died or, hurt or okay. I literally didn't yeah, you know were nothing. so young. I yeah. just knew what happened and the thing with Cassie and that's it. Okay, so
0: back then and even now I thought that they were in the trench coat trench coat mafia, but they were not. So the trench coat mafia was a group of rebel, rebels who hated the jocks, um, like at the school. Yes. Yeah. Like. I don't, maybe not in your day but like in my day there was there were many cliques there were like the goth kids there were the rednecks there were you know the preps and they all yeah, like you kind of just sat in your little group like in
1: the commentary and things like that it's so weird because like in tv that's always how it is but yeah. in my high school it was pretty much like mixed together like we did have like the, pre- the preps were really the only ones that kind of stuck, stuck together. together, but like my group, there was the weird kids, yeah. there were the goth kids. And everybody kind of
0: hung out together?
1: Yeah, there were like some preppy kids. There oh. were literally oh. any type of kids that... I think Columbine
0: changed a lot. For school in general I really do because I remember you know in my school it was always very clicky and it's like when Columbine happened well first of all security got so much stricter in schools you know we had metal detectors we had police at the door you know Mm -hmm. Um, and I think almost in a way kids kind of started you know uniting together and kind of sticking together and not being so clicky in All a way right.
1: i don't know the click thing has always been well middle you think it's school more, was kind of more
0: clicky but my high think school it's more something you see in like the movies and stuff yeah
1: because yeah. i legit would be like that would be weird if that was like <laughs> real I mean, life it was true
0: when i was younger it was very true
1: not with me it was i always thought that was just like a tv idea
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah the trench coat mafia um thing it, was false and neither one of the boys had any affiliation with the trench coat mafia so
1: explain again what that is because i c- so it's basically
0: like a group of rebels who hated the jocks rebels. Okay. but they were like i guess you would say like the goths they all wore long black trench coats and like right. baggy pants and like you know um combat boots kind of
1: so was that like a name given to them by like the the students or, or did they call themselves that yeah. i'm not sure but neither okay. one of them were a part of that, so I was thinking it was like a school group, like <laughs> you know how we have like after school, like oh my art god, club. really? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> no the trench like, coat mafia class. Dude, you know, the nineties were crazy. I feel so. uh, true Who knows? I love the nineties though.
0: Nineties were great.
1: I don't remember the nineties
0: really. I would go back to the nineties in a heartbeat. So yeah, knowledge to me that they were not a part of the trench coat mafia. So, um, the boys' journals and videos gave insight into Harris and Klebold's thinkings. So the FBI concluded that Harris, I kind of spoke to Alyssa about this earlier because this shit blew my mind, but Harris was a brooding psychopath who exhibited a complete lack of empathy. He showed narcissistic traits and unconstrained aggression.
1: Makes sense.
0: So Eric Harris was well spoken, but he was cold and he had this like superior godlike complex.
1: Oh, I hate those he type of people. He hated
0: everyone. Hated everyone. He just genuinely was like pure evil. And the crazy thing was like Eric Harris was like a decent looking boy. Like he looked normal, while Dylan Klebold was more kind of. I would say like the dorkier one. I'm going to look them up while you talk cuz I don't even know yeah. what they look like. Yeah, like he even some girls said like Harris was like cute, you know? Like he wasn't like some, you know, weird strange kid that nobody liked, you know what I mean? Right. So um and again, he was just he hated everyone and he just thought he was better than everyone and everybody deserved to die. So now Dylan Klebold, who was the taller, redheaded one, he was concluded as an angry depressive who showed low self-esteem, severe anxiety, and a vengeful attitude to individuals who he felt were his wrongdoers. So he was kind of the one that hated himself while Harris hated everyone else.
1: They really look like normal dudes. Yeah.
0: Isn't it crazy? So um, Klebold was hurting internally. And Harris just wanted to hurt people. Um, and I actually read, I don't remember if I read or if I heard it in the documentary, but experts said that Harris was so pure, demonically evil that had he not died at Columbine and he lived into adulthood, that he would have gone on to do much worse, which is <laughs> Horrifying, <laughs> but so believable. How do you get worse than gunning down innocent students? You know what I mean. Like a Sandy Hook killing would be <sighs> worse, in my opinion. True that. So, um, but they said that Klebold could have probably gone on to live a normal life and could have been rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. Um, so Eric Harris was the driving force of the shooting, while, in my opinion, Dylan Klebold was basically kind of the tag along. The um, you know i hate myself but i almost worship you you know because
1: is this coming from like
0: people who knew them this is more um what i'm talking about right now is like the fbi's opinion on the two you know from their writings and from their writings yeah okay. so and you know probably people that knew them's opinions as well right so Um, In 1998, which was one year before the shooting, um, the boys were arrested. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold were charged with theft and criminal mischief and uh, criminal trespassing for breaking into a van and stealing some things out of the van. They were placed into a diversion program consisting of community service and counseling, and the two were released a month early. Eric Klebold, which again is the one that Um, uh, Eric Klebold. (laughs) I screwed that all up. (laughs) Eric Harris. Okay. So he's the psychopath Uh was called a bright young man who has a great deal of potential. Okay. And let me just tell Eric Harris was fucking smart as shit. He was smart as shit. Yeah. And, um, so now I'm going to just discuss, um, them as individuals. Okay. So Eric Harris was born in Wichita, Kansas, and he was the son of an air force pilot and so he moved around a lot as a child you know he was military brat yeah the Harris family moved to Littleton Colorado in 1993 after his dad retired from the military so in his new hometown he was a soccer player and he wore good preppy clothes like the popular kids but he still just had a really hard time fitting in at school right he made really good grades but his dark side showed, and uh, his schoolwork often featured violent and gory images. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, he would, like, draw, like, weird-ass shit and, like...
1: Oh, like, he doodle. I yeah. used to do
0: that, too. I used like, to draw,
1: like, octopuses going down my page. Yeah, <laughs> and
0: he would be drawing, like, somebody with a knife hanging out of their face. You know what I mean? Like, I
1: hope they sent him to the counselor's <laughs> office, did they? I I don't really know. That is I a know, cause and, for
0: concern. Well, at one point, a teacher does go to somebody because of a writing. Or it may have been Dylan. I don't know. We'll get to that later, but... They are so serious about that kind of stuff oh, now. Oh, now, yeah. And I'm telling you, Columbine was, like, the star of you know we got to get tighter on these things right. so um his second year of high school Eric Harris slowly began to change he started wearing long coats dark clothes and combat boots and he started being hassled by other students for his weird looks and odd behavior. But again, not really bullied. Just kind of like teased. You know what I mean? Like,
1: like a lot of kids are. That happened you know? to me in middle school when yeah. I was going through my scene phase. People would say things to me. Yeah. But guess what? I never shot up at school.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so um, both Harris and his good buddy, Klebold, um, studied German. And they became like obsessed with Hitler and the Nazis. Okay, I can totally see that. Yeah, like anything dark and demented, they're about it. So, they wore
1: swastikas and they loved giving the hail Hitler salute. How were they allowed to? If you would have done that when I went to high school, you would have been ISS. Oh yeah, for sure. But this
0: is before this kind of thing was common. You know, they don't fuck around now. Like, Mm -mm. so um, you know, as we can tell already, he was a very angry and aggressive. Young man. So, possibly adding fuel to the fire. Uh, Harris had been rejected by the U.S. Marine Corps shortly before the killings because of his psychiatric medication. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. He was taking Luvox for his depression and obsessive thoughts. He wanted to be in the front lines, he said. He wanted to, as he put it, shoot everyone. You know, um, Aaron was telling me recently that there was, like, three reasons people joined the military. And one was being, like, to follow family tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what the other was. And then the third was just to kill,
1: you know? I would believe it. Yeah. I really do. It's, like, people feel people are, they want to kill, and that's, that's a, a good way to, get way to do it. Do exactly. It. Yeah.
0: Exactly. That's so scary.
1: Well, honestly, like, I don't know. I'm a little conflicted about it because at least they're not going around, like, murdering innocent people. But then again, it's they, also, they like... They are, though.
0: I mean, think about how many innocent babies and children have been killed, you know?
1: Well, that's true. But I was thinking, like, shooting like, the enemy right, soldiers. Right. But I guess if you are in the military and your only reason for being there is because you want to kill, you're probably not going to think twice about killing innocent exactly. civilians. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So and I guess we'll get that fucked it. up. Yeah. yeah. So um, in 1997, the parents of one of Harris's classmates by the name of Brooks Brown filed a formal complaint against him when they found a death threat directed at their son. Sometime earlier, Harris had thrown a chunk of ice at Brown's car. A book written by Brown later stated that the in- incidents occurred after Harris, for whom he gave rights to, complained about him being chronically late so brown eventually told him find another ride to school and that just infuriated harris so he threatens him with death and throws ice in his car yeah he was just
1: freaking nuts okay.
0: like like he's literally doing you a favor and he's late and you're gonna lose your fucking mind like dude
1: like find your own ride then yeah yeah he's freaking nuts dude
0: So, uh, during his freshman year, Eric met a girl by the name of Tiffany Tyfer in German class, and he took her to homecoming. It was their only date, which I feel like most women (laughs) would be like, yeah, that's going to be our first and only. Nope for me. And uh, when she refused to go out with him again, Eric... Staged a fake suicide, and he sprawled out on the ground with fake blood splashed all over him. What a freak! Yeah, like, dude, you thought like she would be like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll go back out with you. Like, I
1: will date you even though you're dead." Yeah, like, like stupid. what? Did she believe it? Do you know? I
0: I don't know. I don't know. That's just the kind of crazy shit he did just for attention. You know?
1: What a basket
0: case. So uh, Eric was super active on the Internet during uh, the years preceding the shootings, exploring what then was extremely new. Now, you were just, like, a baby during these days, but, like, AOL, like, instant messenger, like, all of this stuff was super new, like, yeah.
1: in the late 90s. I was going to ask you what – because, I mean, I remember the Internet, like, you know, in the early 2000s, yeah. like, you know, when you couldn't be on the phone and the Internet at the right, same right. time. That's and That's exactly how it was. Yeah, but I don't know, like – It was super new. I don't know what the internet was like. Like, (laughs) I remember getting an email when I was, like, I don't know, like, nine, maybe. Mm Or, I don't know, I was in elementary school. And that was, like, my extent of knowledge about (laughs) the internet up until I got a MySpace when I was, like, 11.
0: Right, right. And this is far, way before MySpace or anything like that. Was there Google? I don't know i don't know i literally just remember like a cd that you popped in and you had aol like
1: <laughs> i don't know i remember like like aim and yeah that kind what of we did. thing but um and then, I,
0: god forbid somebody picks up the phone because you're done
1: <laughs> oh yeah i remember that i don't oh, god what did i play on the, on the internet then because i remember that happening to me so weird so um
0: listen to this shit okay so, Harris had a website. Listen to this shit. Like, this shit is fucking nuts. So, this is a quote from his website. You know what I hate? Country music. You know what I hate? People who say wrestling is real.
1: <laughs> Scotty. <laughs> Scotty.
0: You know what I hate? People who use the same word over and over again. Read a fucking book or two. Increase your vocabulary, fucking idiots.
1: Me by saying like and hate it. <laughs> you know what I hate? Stupid people. Why
0: must so many people be stupid?
1: You know what I hate?
0: When people mispronounce words, and they don't even know it too. Like across, espresso, Pacific or two pack. Learn to speak correctly, you morons. You know what I hate? Star Wars fans. Get a friggin' life, you boring geeks. A friggin'? Friggin'. Is that <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it says. F A A R I G I N. Okay, who doesn't know how to spell that? Friggin'. So, Harris was also a pathological liar. <clears throat> He admitted it um, himself in one of his journal writings, and he said, I lie a lot, almost constantly, and to everybody, just to keep my own ass out of the water. Let's see, what are some of the big lies I've told? Yeah, I stopped smoking. For doing it, not for getting caught. No, I haven't been making more bombs. No, I wouldn't do that, and countless other ones. These were his words. Complete narcissistic psychopath
1: i don't get like pathological liars like that like, like the probably the biggest lie i've ever told in my entire life was my freshman year of high school i met this guy and he was mexican and um i don't remember exactly why it happened mm-hmm. but i told him that i was half mexican and my dad was mexican <laughs> literally and he met my dad many times it's oh, it not- so weird and then my my senior year of high school and the last day of school I said, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm just white. Oh my god! And I, it was like it? a joke. I don't even remember like what made me say that. Yeah. But he said something that made me be like, ha, that would be funny. So for literally four years, this dude thought my dad was Mexican. That is hilarious. <laughs> and what he the had met my dad, and my dad is so white Oh my god, that's fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? Well, it was like whatever he said. Yeah. It was like related to that. And you and just kind of went with. I it. just went with it. Yeah. Oh, that's funny as fuck. Okay,
0: so his being a pathological liar just adds to his um, psychopathic profile. Right. Harris spoke of his deceitfulness with a total lack of remorse or empathy, which is another distinctive quality of a true psychopath. Harris had no conscience. He was truly just a frightening human being, and he was a monster.
1: So, Deuce... Do psychopaths have a conscience but they don't care, or is it sociopaths that have a conscience and don't care? I don't know. Look that up.
0: Okay. They're calling him a psychopath the entire time. So, Um, Harris's writings showed several reasons for his desire to kill. Uh, Number one, he wanted to see himself as, and I quote, the law Number two was for sadistic pleasure. And number three, because the human race, and I quote, is only worth killing. Yeah. Excuse me, that doesn't even make sense. Nut job. Um, another one of his journal entry reads, I want to tear a throat out with my own teeth like a pop can. I want to grab some weak little freshmen and just tear them apart like a fucking wolf. Strangle them, squish them squish their head, rip off their jaw, break their arms in half, and show them who is God. Isn't that crazy? I'm speechless. Dude, like,
1: ugh. Ugh. I've never once written or said anything close yeah, I mean, to that. <laughs> we say we
0: want to squeeze babies until, you But, know. like, in a loving way. Yeah, exactly. Not like, that a... is
1: completely insane. Yeah. Which, by the way, so a psychopath does not have a conscience. Okay. A sociopath might have a conscience, but it's very weak, and, they and it, like, doesn't just put it tug the back on them. Yeah, like, exactly. so, like, if, you know, you were to do something wrong, it would tug at you and yeah. tug at you, but with a sociopath, they, they might feel the that, like, mind. yeah, that, like, little pinch of, like, but then they're able to push it away and just, okay. you know, like, not worry about it. So,
0: then, yeah, he absolutely was a psychopath. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, what I've got on his, you know, psychopathic profile.
1: <laughs> it seems very psychopathic <laughs> to me. Very horrifying person yeah just to think there are people out there like that you know you know it's also just sad for his parents like think of like your kid being that way like just you know eventually knowing that your child does not have a conscience and just does not care about anyone or anything I'll tell you
0: what too and I did not put this in my notes and I read it somewhere and I wish I had but I read that his mother when she gave birth to him that she felt such an overwhelming sense of like doom and horror and sadness and grief when he was born like it was like she gave birth to the devil basically
1: i wonder how she treated him growing up yeah i don't know i'd be curious too to see you know how he was kind of raised and i really feel like you can become a psychopath or sociopath, of your parenting. nurture yeah true but i you probably can be born
0: one too and maybe he would, literally was just born an evil evil it's demented hard him. to I, know
1: though because i mean yeah like there's you can't prove that at mm-hmm. infancy you know what i mean right i hope honestly for her sake i hope he was just born that way right Ugh, so sad all right, so um,
0: now we're going to talk a little bit about Klebold. So, Dylan Bennett Klebold was born into an upper-middle-class family in Lakewood, Colorado. His parents were Thomas and Susan Klebold. Tom was a geophysicist, while Sue... What is that? Geophysicist. I don't know, and I meant to look that up. Look it up and see. It's something. How do you spell that? Geo, just geo a physicist. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. Um, something big, though. I mean, a physicist is a big deal. So, <laughs> um, so Sue and his mom, Sue, worked with disabled people, and both of his parents were graduates of Ohio State. You got it.
1: Um. It says geophysic- geophysics.
0: well I guess that's what he said he was a physicist but yeah okay
1: is a subject of natural science concerned with the physical processes and physical properties of the earth and its surrounding space environment I figure
0: it had something to do with geology
1: yeah clearly okay yeah so they do shit with like mining oil and natural gas companies
0: okay the parents later um, started a small real estate company that they ran from home. So, I don't know, but they were well off. Clebold uh, attended Normandy Elementary School in Littleton for first and second grade, and then he transferred to Governor's Ranch Elementary School. And he was a part of CHIPS, which is Challenging High Intellectual Potential Students.
1: Wow. I was a smart kid, but I never made it into, like, Quest or Challenge or anything like that. That's what this is, basically. It's just
0: another. So, it was a program for gifted and talented children.
1: That's what Autumn, Thomas, and Amanda were all in. (laughs)
0: Wow,
1: Me and Ansley were the dumb ones, I guess. Oh, Whatever. So his parents told
0: investigators that he was somewhat sheltered when he went to Governor's Ranch Elementary and believed that his transition to middle school was a little difficult for him because Mm -hmm. he was just extremely shy and quiet, Mm -hmm. which, of course, that's very difficult when you're
1: quiet you know oh yeah my first semester of sixth grade oh, yeah. i legit did not have a single friend i didn't so talk scary. to anyone. Single- i literally would go from the moment i walked into school mm-hmm. to the moment i left without saying a single word yeah i understand i was painfully shy
0: so uh, he played uh t-ball he played baseball and soccer and he was a cub scout um, at Columbine, Dylan, Dylan Klebold was active in the school play productions as a light and sound coordinator. So he was kind of the behind-the-scenes guy, but he still did do things, you know? Not me. I did Not nothing. Either. <laughs> and he was involved in video productions and Columbine High School's Rebel News Network. Did y'all have news, like school news, when you were in school? I don't think so. We did, and, like, the kids would sit at the desk and, like, read the news, school news for the day. You didn't have that? We in um and they would like call out the birthdays and stuff
1: in elementary school we had something kind of like that but not okay. middle school or high school yeah we had it and that was that was cool and then they stopped
0: it i think In like i don't know i want to say it was
1: middle school we had it for sure
0: i don't know if we had it in high school i don't remember yeah they don't like school to be fun right he was also a computer assistant at the school and he helped maintain the school computer server he really did do a lot yeah um he played fantasy baseball on a regular basis and uh, at Columbine Senior Prom, that was held on 417, 1999, so we're talking three days before the massacre, he went um, by limo along with 12, 12 other friends to the dance. That doesn't seem like a loser to right. me. Right. Um, Dylan's prom date for the night was a friend uh, by the name of Robin K. Anderson. And I do, I, this is another thing I didn't take down in my notes, but eric harris was very upset that dylan went to prom and he didn't because eric was known more as you know the more popular cuter one Mm -hmm. and he was like why does this guy get to go to prom and have fun but i don't i I didn't even look up which one was which i'm about to do that so harris is the one with like the short brown spiky hair and then clebold is the like red hair so uh like I said, he went with Robin, uh, who was a friend of his, to mm-hmm. prom. Now, it was actually Robin Anderson who helped purchase the two shotguns and the rifle that were used in the Columbine assault. Okay? Now, the reason she acted as the middleman to purchase those guns for the boys was because she was 18 at the time, and the the boys weren't. Which one was the more popular one? The brown spiky hair. But the name? Eric Harris. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um the boys lied to her by saying that they needed the guns to cause no harm and only wanted to use them for harmless fun and deer hunting. So their friend who was eighteen got the guns for them that they used. I, I would bet never she would like I'm sure she is kicking herself. herself in the ass. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. But they were big into guns. Like, they were constantly, you know... I guess maybe if you have friends like that, you don't really think anything of it. Like, yeah. they're always out shooting
1: and... Dude, I don't know. I'm just saying, guys, don't get underage people anything <laughs> yeah, at exactly. all. Exactly. Ever. Mm-hmm. For any reason. Don't. I don't care what they tell you. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Now, the crazy thing about Klebold
0: is, well, you know, Eric Harris... Yeah, he did have plans on going into the military, but that didn't work out for him. He didn't really have, like, a future planned out. Um, now, Klebold, friends say that he talked happily about a positive future in attending college in Arizona. Um, his family had already put down down uh, put down money for a dorm room at the University of Arizona, where he planned to major in computer science. So he, he probably was, would
1: have been good at that. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um Dylan was described by many who knew him to be a follower and that Harris had a strong influence on him. He was also depicted by those who knew him as a young man who lacked in confidence and was painfully shy, but he was not one to be quick to anger.
1: Right. Hmm. That is interesting. I wonder how this happened to him. I think he was so pulled in by Harris,
0: you know. Harris was the cool guy, and Harris was manipulating. And, I mean, clearly there had to be a very dark side of Dylan Klebold. We know this. Oh, yeah. Um, clearly. But. Did he? I think if he had not gotten involved with Harris, again, you know, like I said, he may have been able to go on and live a normal life had he gotten counseling or.
1: Did he? Know. Um, I, I know you'll probably get to it, but um, did was he, did, I guess I'm basically trying to say, like, who killed more people. Harris did. Harris, okay. And we will yeah. get to that. Okay.
0: Um, so, just weeks before the massacre, Dylan Klebold, I spoke about this earlier. I, I may have said Harris did it, though. But Dylan turned in a school report that was so graphically violent that the teacher contacted his parents about it. Oh, my God. So, Dylan's ex- explanation was that it was just a story which was easily accepted by his parents. The story was about a lone warrior clad in a trench coat who in gory detail beat stabbed and shot to death a group of quote college preps and then set off bombs to divert the attention of the police. The language used to describe the preps enemies or to describe the prep as enemies was so strong that teacher Judy Kelly wouldn't even grade the paper until she sat down and spoke with him about it. The families of the three victims named Kelly along with other school employees in their wrongful death lawsuits contending contended she should have done more to call attention to Dylan Klebold's violent fantasies.
1: There's there's a difference between like if it was like a lone soldier who uh-huh. killed a group of you know actual enemies like mm-hmm. on the battlefront or whatever but like mm-hmm. a gothic kid killing preps yeah. that's not normal that's not
0: a school paper
1: no like what are you doing that Ugh. is that is very like telling yeah that is a red flag absolutely
0: so uh through Klebold's personal writings um hold on one second. Sorry. I thought... I just... Okay, that was so weird. What? I swear I saw a car pulling in, and there's nothing. I saw something moving. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, like, wigged myself out <laughs> I'm seeing things. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. So, uh, through his personal writings discovered after the shooting, it became clear that he had been suicidal for a long time. He also expressed sincere sadness that he wasn't dating anyone and that, uh, anger was just potentially boiling beneath the surface surface at all times, Right. you know, again, like I said earlier, he was just, he was sad with himself more so than at other people, right? Um Well, and then I have here that Klebold allegedly shouted, we're going to kill every one of you when the pair entered the library that day, where most of the students were killed. Dylan was in pain. Vodka helped. The Internet did, too. And on March 31st, 1997, Dylan got drunk. He picked up a pen and he began a conversation with the one person who could understand. And that was himself. All he had was a plain pad of notebook paper, so he drew, on his, uh, he drew his own cover. He titled his work Existences, a virtual book. <clears throat> there was no hint of murder that first day, not even violence. Only traces of anger seeped out, mostly aimed at himself. Dylan was on a spiritual quest. He said, I do shit to supposedly cleanse myself in a spiritual, moral sort of way he was a profoundly religious young man
1: imagine where? that
0: imagine that where um even though his family was not active in any congregation um dylan's belief was unwavering he believed in god without question in morality ethics
1: and an afterlife imagine that i'm extremely confused yeah right now yeah who's the one that killed cassie
0: um, we'll get to that i'm not sure I'm not sure.
1: Jesus. But, yeah. That is very confusing. Exactly.
0: I, I don't understand. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure he's not the first murderer who claims to be a Christian.
1: I wonder, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I feel like there's something mentally deeper here. Oh, for sure. Like some kind of mental. Yeah,
0: for sure. Illness. Mm-hmm. So Dylan's anger would flare and then fizzle and just kind of turn into self-disgust. He craved death for at least two years. The first mention comes in the first entry, and he says, thinking of suicide gives me hope that I'll be in my place wherever I go after this life, that I'll finally not be at war with myself, the world, the universe, my mind, body, everywhere, everything at peace, me, my soul, my existence. But suicide for a believer in God posed a problem. Dylan believed in a literal heaven and hell, and when he murdered several people, he knew there would be consequences. And he would refer to them, in his final video message recorded on the morning that he called Judgment Day. And we'll get to that last recording a little bit
1: later. So. I'm a little scared, TBH. Like, I think that this right here because this is so real mm-hmm. like this is something that i feared every day at high school yeah. there would be days where i would legit stay home from school because i'd be scared to go to school because you thought something was going to happen yeah like i would have an overwhelming feeling and i wouldn't go and nothing would happen and but as young as you are when this
0: happened you know why you had that fear because of this yeah this is the
1: start of all of the madness and yeah. I feel like school, like school shootings, are so prevalent now. Oh, yeah. Like I'm horrified to see my so kid to school. It's so scary. It's
0: so scary. So yeah. All right. So now um, we're going to de- delve into the actual massacre. Uh, the day was April twentieth, nineteen ninety nine. Which oddly enough, and I do believe this was planned, but that is Hitler's birthday. Oh my god! Right. Also four twenty. <laughs> if that has anything to do with it, not sure. Uh, Probably so, not. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they were drunks and potheads and all of that. So, But um, the two boys arrived at the school around 11.10 a.m. in separate vehicles. Before Eric Harris left his car, he ran into Brooks Brown. You remember him? Mm-hmm. The one that he got yeah. in the altercation with about the rides? Yeah. So they talked for a minute, and Harris told Brown... Brooks, I like you now. Get out of here. Go home. And that right there saved Brooks Brown's life Wow. he left campus. The two had planted a bomb in the school's cafeteria, which was supposed to go off around 11 a.m. That was supposed to force everyone to evacuate the building harris and clebold planned on shooting people as they entered the parking lot so that was the plan from the start we're going to set these bombs off people are going to start running out and we're going to just start blowing people away as they're running okay so that was the master plan from the start but it didn't go as planned because the bomb failed so when the bomb fails they decide to enter the school through the west entrance and that's when they began shooting um so, again, it was not intended primarily to be a shooting at all, but rather a bombing on a massive scale. And if they hadn't been so bad at wiring the bomb timers, the bombs that they set off in the cafeteria would have killed 600 people. Wow. Wow is Thank right. God it didn't go off. That would have been the most devastated, yeah. devastating bombing probably ever. I'm not sure, but... Probably. Yeah. That's nuts. Were there a lot of people in the cafeteria? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, after those bombs would have went off, they planned to gun down any fleeing survivors. And, and as as an explosive third act, they would follow. Um, and their cars, uh, which were packed with more bombs, would rip through the remaining crowd. Pre- presumably any survivors, rescue workers, and reporters. And that they assumed would get them tremendous fame. Um, And they wanted to be the power behind one of the most massive mass killings of all time. And they would have been for sure. Absolutely. They still got that fame they wanted now, but imagine (laughs) that. Like, we're talking probably a thousand people dead. Yeah.
1: Students dead. Children dead. Oh my God. Thank God (sighs) it didn't go off. Yep. I mean, it's horrible that the pe- that you know there were what 15 people uh 12 people? 13 13 people mm-hmm. died mm-hmm. but like 600 to a thousand? <sighs> Oh my god dude
0: so uh harrison clebold killed whoever whenever the sadism that was on dis- display was just extreme yeah anyone who was injured or crying out of terror immediately became priority for the shooters Isn't that sickening? That's fucked up. Um, A survivor by the name of Aaron Cohn said they were laughing as they shot. It was like they were having the time of their life. So Rachel Scott, 17 years old, was the first person killed in the shooting. She was shot four times while eating lunch with her friend Richard Costaldo on the grass outside the entrance of the school. Rachel was bullied throughout her high school years for her devout Christian faith. Castaldo, who was shot eight times and left uh, permanently paralyzed from his injuries, said that Harris returned when he realized Rachel had not died from her injuries and asked her, do you still believe in God? And he lifted her head by her hair. And she answered, you know, I do. Harris then told her, then go be with him and shot her in the head. I, that right there just. Oh, Insane. It just gives me goosebumps.
1: You said that was Eric that did that? I, oh, yeah. Oh of course God. it was. Yeah, Of
0: course it was. Um, now, her diaries have inspired many victims of bullying, and the charity Rachel's Challenge is estimated to have reached out to 2 million students. Wow. I mean, good for her for standing by her faith in yeah. that horrible moment. You know, I mean,
1: she was probably going to die either way, so you might as well stick with your faith. Yeah. Ugh, that
0: one just gives me chills.
1: But she said, you know I do. Yeah. Not a meek yes. yes. It was a you know I do. Yeah. That's a hero. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, second victim
0: was uh, 15-year-old Dan, R- R- gosh, I got to make sure I say this correctly, Rorbo? R- Rorbo? Rorbo? R- Bow. I'm not sure. It's R O H R B O U G H. I have no idea. We'll call him Dan. Okay. So his mother, um, who said that she usually didn't get to see him in the morning, had a quick talk with her son and gave him a kiss and a hug over breakfast the morning of the shootings. And then he walked out of school, uh, or walked out of the house for school, and she never saw him again.
1: I'm glad she got to give him the final kiss, though. That is so sad. Mm -hmm. Daniel was heading to a
0: nearby park to eat his lunch with a Dr. Pepper in in hand when the gunman approached the school. Dan was shot in the chest, abdomen, and leg, and he died on the sidewalk. His death was the most public, and his body remained in a pool of blood outside the school for 24 hours.
1: Wow!
0: And if I'm not mistaken, I want to say like it, it was even like on the news, like you could see shots of his body laying there.
1: Oh my gosh! Imagine
0: how traumatic for his family. Dude,
1: I cannot imagine Ugh. that poor mother.
0: It's just heartbreaking.
1: Uh, Dave Sanders,
0: who was the only teacher killed in the massacre, was the third death. Uh, He was a teacher, dad, and grandfather, Um, full name William David Sanders. He was also known as Dave, um, but he was in the cafeteria when he heard gunfire and ran to warn the students. He's been hailed a hero after he successfully managed to get around 100 students away from the gunfire.
1: Wow, he is a hero.
0: Yeah. Dave tried to secure as much of the school as he could, but eventually ran into the shooters. So he was just running around like saying, leave, 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 mm-hmm. you know. Um, he was shot in the back and the neck as he tried to run away oh from my them. God. Klebold now walked over to Dave, who had fallen on the floor and threw a pipe bomb down the hall. Dave managed to drag himself to the science area where another teacher kept him alive for three hours by attempting to stop him from losing blood. um, And he was by using uh, shirts from the students in the room. Wow. A student held up a sign in the classroom window saying one bleeding to death, but the warnings were ignored. (sighs) His last words were, tell my family I love them. Oh, my gosh. Is that just heartbreaking? Oh. And he was alive for three hours. Like, he probably could have lived yeah. had he been, you know, rescued. Medically yeah. treated, yeah. Victim number four was Kyle Vela- Velasquez, who was 16 years old at the time. Kyle was lovingly described as a big teddy bear. He was the first of 10 students who died during a hostage situation in the school's library. He curled up under a computer table and was killed by shots in the head and back. Oh, my God. Kyle suffered a stroke as a baby, and his parents were prepared to spend the rest of their lives with him due to his disabilities. He had been attending Columbine for three months and had only started to stay at the school through lunch. Um, he would have been on his way home if the shooting had happened a few weeks earlier.
1: Yeah, definitely doesn't sound like revenge of the nerds. No, they just—they're targeting people who have been bullied. Exactly, exactly.
0: Uh, so, <clears throat> the next victim was Stephen Cornell, Kern- and he was 14 years old, and he was the youngest victim. He was a huge Star Wars fan, and he planned to become a Navy Top Gun pilot. So Eric must have hated him. Either that or I don't even know that it was directed towards him. They just killed whoever.
1: Oh, my God. They
0: had no prejudice against, you know. Who
1: was the one who hated Star Wars fans? Eric. Eric. Okay. Yeah. Oh, geez. So he was killed
0: when Eric Harris shot him in the, in the neck with a sawed-off shotgun. In a tribute note read at his funeral, Stephen's mom said, Thank you for that special moment two weeks ago when you said, Mom... I bet there aren't many guys who can discuss things with their moms like we do. Oh,
1: oh, my God.
0: This this is tough to read. So Cassie Bernal, which most of us, we know about Mm -hmm. Cassie. um, She was the sixth victim. And Cassie started rebelling as a young teen and began experiencing with alcohol and drugs. Her parents sent her to a church retreat after she started having suicidal and homicidal thoughts against them. They said, we got our daughter back when she returned as an entirely different person. She then started over at a new school, Columbine. Cassie was studying in the library when the school shooting started, and she tried to hide alongside another girl under a computer table. Harris entered and slapped the top of the table twice before saying, peekaboo. He bent down and shot Cassie in the side
1: of the head. She died immediately. Wow. Horrifying. Well, I had Cassie and Rachel mixed up. I think we, I did
0: too. Yeah. When we, no, because Cassie was the one that they said, she said yes. I'm almost positive. That's how it is in the Flyleaf song. It's Cassie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I had the book, she said yes, and it was about Cassie Bernal. I'm almost positive. I'm going to Google it really quick, but uh, let's see. Cassie, Cassie Bernal, she said yes. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she said yes. See, so I thought, let's see, it says. Okay, so it had been widely reported that shooter Eric Harris had asked Bernal if she believed in God. And when she responded with yes, Harris shot and killed her, though, in fact, no exchange took place.
1: So why did that even happen? Why did people say that? I'm not sure. I think, uh,
0: let's see, evidence against these claims. So multiple reliable sources, including eyewitnesses who were with Bernal when she was shot, the teen who initially reported that she had been the one asked about belief in God, um, an audio recording in the FBI determined within months of the massacre that Bernal was never asked the question at all. Huh. So.
1: Yes, Okay. So I guess it's just a huge, wide misconception, because I feel like anybody who knows of Columbine thinks it was Cassie that said that.
0: Yeah, I guess so. So I'm reading here that... um, So instead, it was a survivor named Baileen Schnur. And it says, Schnur laid on the floor injured, and when one of the shooters, Dylan Klebold, approached her, she said, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, please don't let me die. Klebold asked her if she believed in God. She said she did, and when he asked why, she responded, Because I believe and my parents brought me up that way. Klebold did not shoot her again. So it was just somebody had it wrong who it was. Klebold didn't shoot her again. So, but the book was written by Cassie's mother. So I think maybe she wrote the book and mm-hmm. then it came out. It wasn't actually Cassie after all, but we all still have this.
1: Right. In know, our head. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. You know what? Either way. It's crazy that yeah. Eric is like killing people because they believe in God. And then mm-hmm. the other one's like, no, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I told you he Interesting was a Christian. Dynamic here. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Okay. So, uh. So it'll either save you or kill you. Yeah, depending on which psychopath it is. Yeah.
0: Um, so the seventh person killed was Isaiah Scholz, who, who was 18 years old. Isaiah Scholz was an aspiring comedian and was born with a heart defect, but managed to overcome his disability and went on to play American football and wrestle.
1: Literally already right there, two yeah. people who
0: have suffered immensely in their lives and yeah. have disabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't tell me it was about killing the jocks. It wasn't. It it was about just mass murder. Has
1: any jock been
0: killed yet? No. Okay, then. So he was studying in the library with friends Matt Ketcher and Craig Scott when the shooters entered. They hid under a table, but when Klebold spotted the popular athlete he was a popular athlete gotcha he called Ray, uh harris over and the pair flanked on the table on either side and started a racist rants against isaiah he was black he was the only victim that was black columbine was a very white school yeah and they were very racist they killed him because he was black
1: right well they loved hitler so yeah
0: They attempted to pull him out from under the table, but when they failed, Harris just shot him. Klebold then shot Matthew, while Craig survived by playing dead in a pool of blood from his dying friends. Oh, my God. (sighs) Yeah. Literally killed him because he was black. Insane. Ugh, it makes me sick. Insane. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Matt Catcher was one of the, uh, the, uh, Big people in the documentary I watched that spoke a lot. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Now I know Rachel. Her brother was in the documentary and not a lot. I want to say Matt Ketcher was too, though. Okay, so Matthew. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Matt Matthew Ketcher died. Okay, Craig survived. Okay, Matthew Ketcher 16 was the eighth victim. Matt Ketcher was shot in the chest and died alongside his good buddy Isaiah in the library. Matt played on both the defensive and offensive lines of the school's American football team. He was a weightlifter and an A-plus student. His parents said in a tribute, he was a wonderful role model for his little brother. So victim number nine, Lauren Townsend, 18 years old. Lauren Townsend was shot more than any of the other victims, but no one knows why. She died on the library floor after being shot several times in the head, chest, and lower body.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Lauren was a straight-A student who volunteered at a local animal shelter and was captain of the volleyball team, which her mom coached. She was hiding under a table with friends and kept her arm around Val Schner, who survived, and told her everything would be okay before before the killer shot her dead.
1: Dude, I can't even imagine, like, Ugh. just sitting there and watching just your the friend horror. die.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. It's mind-blowing.
1: Oh, it makes me feel so uneasy.
0: Mm-hmm. The 10th to die was John Tomlin, 17. John Tomlin was spending his lunch break in the library studying when Harrison Klebold stormed in. He hid under a table and welcomed Nicole Nolan to his hiding place, where he held her hand in comfort while they listened to the shooters kill their classmates. Oh, my God. Harris shot John without looking he was under the table, before Klebold went around and shot him point blank in the head. Nicole was shot in the stomach, but survived. I just... Like, I'm placing myself there in Mm. this moment. And just, can you... I, I can't even... I don't know how these people, like, went on with their lives after this.
1: I don't know. Is Columbine still a high school? Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. And, like, people go
0: there just to, like, be there and, like, check it out. Like, I know we went to, like, the, you know, the hospital and all of this, but I just think it's disrespectful. Oh, it's
1: extreme. Like, maybe, like, you know, 50 years from now, maybe, like, when all their relatives are gone. But not, like, like. They're, not, it it it's not a 99. tourist attraction, you Yeah. Know? Like
0: leave them It's a high school where kids still go to school, right?
1: You know, I can't believe they didn't tear it down if it was abandoned right 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 but like there are kids who still go there and yeah. that's i would never ever like i mean the chances of it happening again are probably pretty slim I know, but, but like i still. just think it should have been like
0: torn down and relocated or something oh for sure i, I mean, mean those are the same die halls, there. same yeah.
1: classrooms the same library it's insane i fuck that no I, i'd be homeschooled for yeah. sure yeah Mm-mm. so um, i wonder if they feel unsafe i know i wonder well, what kind I, of security measures they have oh, there now. it's
0: got to be big time you know, because think about it. As many people as that glorify these two psychos, mm-hmm. imagine they're like, ooh, Columbine, round two. You well, know that's I mean? true. Seriously. That's it's terrifying. True. Oh, my God. That makes me want to throw Ugh. up. So, um, victim number 11, <clears throat> Kelly Fleming. She was 16. Kelly Fleming started at Columbine just three months before she was killed. She was writing poems, as usual, in the library when Harrison Klebold entered. She tried to hide under a table with a group of girls, but due to lack of room, she was partially visible. Oh, God. It just gives me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Coming up from behind, Eric shot Kelly in the back. Her body was found close to Lauren Townsend's. Wow. Victim number 12 was Daniel Mauser, M-A-U-S-E-R, who was 15 years old. Daniel hid under a table and pushed a chair in front of him when Harris approached in, a, in an attempt to knock him over. Oof, this part. Ugh. Oh, oh God, I'm having oh God. such a hard time. Harris said, nice glasses, before he shot Daniel in the face. I I I just, I can't.
1: Dude, that is pure fucking evil. I hate. Just, just like, ugh. no care at all. Like, I have goosebumps all over my body. Yeah.
0: Daniel was concerned with American's gun law, America's gun laws and asked his dad about loopholes loop in the Brady Bill just two weeks before he died. He was shot by a gun, bought through one of the loopholes that he had questioned. Wow. Poor thing.
1: Wow.
0: <sighs> Holy shit. Yeah. The 13th victim was Corey DePuter. He was 17. Corey was described as an all-American kid who put schoolwork above everything else. His friend, uh, Stephen Austin Eubanks, watched as Klebold aimed a semi-automatic weapon at Corey and pulled the trigger. Austin said in a tribute to Corey, People said he was the kind of guy people like to be around. I know I sure did. Corey was always able to pick our spirits up in a gloomy situation.
1: Do you know how long this library scene took I know the entire thing was less than an hour, so because there's just so much information that you're saying that it seems like just forever and ever. Yeah, but and ever. it had to have been like pretty quick. Well, I mean, yeah. Think about with
0: yeah. semi-automatic weapons, how much you can do, how much damage you can do in even a minute.
1: Oh you my know? God, those poor kids! I can't even imagine what they must have been the feeling. Terror. The atmosphere in that room. Oh my God. Or just like being in a classroom, hearing oh all these God. gunshots go off, and probably like these kids are screaming I I don't care what level I would I would jump out the fucking window oh I I would rather die from jumping off like (sighs) the third story than to be shot by one of these fuckers literally I like I because you are like me I know I'm putting
0: myself in this situation right now and feeling it and hearing it and
1: it's just I can't even like I have no words dude I don't I'm, and think about, like, the survivor's guilt that the Ugh. survivors feel. Especially the ones that are, like, huddled up with somebody and then that person, they, like, see them get shot.
0: I The girl that was partially visible, you know, that just really got me.
1: Like, all those people under the table probably felt so horrible that she was the one to die because... Like she was slightly visible, mm-hmm. and they're probably like, we could have done more. We yeah. could have squeezed her in more. Well,
0: imagine like huddling with your friends and holding each other, and then one of you gets
1: blown away. I would probably literally die of hyperventilation. I, just...
0: I, I yeah, and you're one of the ones screaming and crying and upset, so you're automatically a target.
1: Literally, you like, the, and like you're thinking, like, the more sound you make, the more of a target <sighs> you become. Oh,
0: it's so fucking tough, dude. Like, I it's just. Mm. So all in all, Harrison Klebold murdered 13 people in cold blood um, and left 24 with serious injuries. At least 21 people were shot. Their movements through the school then seemed directionless, shooting into just into the empty, just anything and everything they could. Um, they once threatened students hiding in a restroom, but they didn't go in. It's like they were just taunting. Oh, yeah. You know, like... I could kill you if I wanted to. Yep. You know? It's just ooh, so evil. Um, they made eye contact with students through door windows, but didn't even go in any classrooms. It's like they were just like, Haha, you know? If I wanted to kill you, I could. Like, this is the power I have over yeah, you in that's, this whole school. That's what they wanted. Yeah. You know? So um, after leaving the library, the gunman walked around – the science area and cafeteria before re-entering the library which was empty of surviving students at this point apart from two injured people they perhaps they were planning to watch their car bombs which were set for noon but of course they failed to go off too because they sucked idiots yeah harris sat down with his back to the bookshelves and shot himself through the roof of the mouth Clebold went down on his knees and shot himself in the left temple. In all, Eric killed nine, including himself, and Dylan killed six, himself included. So now I have a list of all the students that were injured but lived. Richard Costaldo, who was with Rachel, mm-hmm. was seventeen. He was shot in the arm, chest, back, and abdomen alongside the west entrance into and he the school. Was the one that was paralyzed. Though. Correct. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Graves was 15. He was shot in the back foot and abdomen near the West Staircase. This is amazing to me that people can be shot this many times and, and live. survive. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Insane. Yeah. I guess it just depends on where <coughs> it goes, you know? Yeah. Uh, Lance Kirkland was 16 and he was critically injured by shots to the leg, neck and jaw near wow. the West Staircase. Mm-hmm. Michael Johnson, 15. He was shot in the face, arm and leg. Base. In the face. Mark Taylor was 16. He was shot in the chest, arms, and leg. Anne Marie Hochhalter was 17. She was shot in the chest, arm, abdomen, back, and left leg. Wow. Five times. And, uh, I'm sorry. Brian Anderson, 17. He was injured near the west entrance by flying glass. Patty oh. Nilsen, 35, was a teacher. She was hit in the shoulder by shrapnel near the west entrance. And then Stephanie Munson, 17, shot in the ankle. Ooh, 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 yeah. that made me hurt. <laughs> it made you hurt worse than the ones getting shot in the face and legs. I don't and know
1: why, but it did. <laughs> the ankle. <laughs> I'm me, like, e- when you hit your ankle, like, on a chair or something, it's, like, one of the worst pains.
0: Absolutely, you are right on that. Um, so the morning of the attack, Aaron, Aaron, Eric and Dylan shot a brief farewell video in Eric's basement. Eric directed. Say it now, he said. Hey mom, Dylan said. I got to go. It's about a half hour till judgment day. I just wanted to apologize to you guys for any crap this might instigate. Just know I'm going to a better place. I didn't like life too much and I know I'll be happy wherever the fuck I go. So, I'm gone. Goodbye. Reb. Reb was uh, his nickname.
1: Oh.
0: Eric handed him the camera. Yeah, everyone I love. I'm really sorry about all of this, Eric said. Everyone you love? You don't have a fucking loving Uh -uh. bone in your body. I know my mom and dad will just be, like, fucking shocked beyond belief. I'm sorry, all right? I can't help it. Dylan interrupted him from behind the camera. It's what we had to do, he said. Eric had one more thought, but Dylan got restless and snapped his fingers. Eric flashes an angry look. He lost his big moment. That's it, he said. Sorry. Goodbye. Dylan turned off the camera to face himself. Goodbye. And that's it. Um, Now, I do want to touch on a local case. If you guys are from Conyers or Covington, you will be aware of this. But I want to talk about the Heritage High School shooting, which I remember very, very well. Alyssa does not. Mm -mm. Uh, I told Alyssa that I was going to talk a little bit about this um, when we were downstairs discussing what I was covering for the day. And uh, she said, wait, what? Heritage had a shooting? <laughs> I said, "Are you joking?"
1: <laughs> well, actually I remembered later on that Scotty had told me about a Heritage <laughs> shooting, but I guess it just slipped my mind. Well, she was like 3, so. Yeah. But uh so
0: literally 1 month to the day of the Columbine shooting. Um now I will mention to those of you who are not local, um Alyssa and I both are pretty much natives of Conyers, Georgia. Yeah. Um, But in our city, um, there was a school shooting one month to the day of Columbine. And this was when a 15-year-old sophomore named Anthony Thomas Solomon Jr., who was also known as TJ. Um, He walked into his high school, Heritage, um, in Conyers, Georgia, and shot six of his classmates, giving all but one of them superficial wounds. So the shooting took place before classes at Heritage High School began for the day while 150 students were gathered in the school's indoor commons area. I went to Heritage High School, and I went there about two years after this shooting. So I just remember, like, how eerie it was. You know what I mean? Just walking in and knowing, like people got shot in here yeah you know what I mean like it, it, and it was very fresh still oh you yeah. know what I mean but, I mean only two years yeah yeah it was nuts and you know how many people honestly can say there's been a school shooting in their town they live in or yeah. much less the school that they went to you know what I mean it's just it's fucking weird But uh, Solomon had arrived at school that day with a 22 caliber sawed-off shotgun and a .357 Magnum revolver stuffed into his baggy jeans. Um, He also arrived at the school with a pocket full of bullets. That morning, instead of socializing with his friends, TJ Solomon stood alone off to the side. And at 7.55 a.m., he pulled out the shotgun and fired all of its rounds. He emptied the gun, aiming low and firing between ten and twelve shots. Now, I always heard that he was not aiming to kill, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what it sounds like to me because he did aim low.
1: You know what I mean? So then, what's the fucking point? I don't know. Just a disturbed individual,
0: but like, but yeah, I mean, you're just like aiming, and and I read also that he was like a really good shot, like he was very good with guns. So like, if he wanted to kill people, he would have killed people. So I don't know what that was about.
1: Maybe he just wanted to shoot up a school but didn't want to face, like, the death penalty or something like that. Yeah. So um, the six students that were hit
0: were Jason Cheek, who was a senior, and he was shot twice. Uh, Kanaya Cullens, uh, who was an African-American sophomore. Drake Hoy, Stephanie Laster, a a sophomore. Ryan Rosa, who was a a junior and an unidentified student. Of the six, only Laster was seriously hurt, and in her case, the bullet first hit a hard surface, such as a floor or table or wall, and then ricocheted into her lower abdomen.
1: Oh, my gosh. And I
0: remember then, like, it was like, uh uh-oh, like, this girl's not good. Yeah. But she did survive. Thank Um, God. Everyone else either suffered just flesh wounds or um, minor injuries, and the attack lasted less than 10 minutes. After Solomon had emptied the shotgun, he ran out of the commons and fell on his knees and put the revolver in his mouth. Before he could shoot himself, the high school's vice president, uh, I'm sorry, president, um, vice principal Cecil T. Brinkley calmed Solomon down. According to Brinkley, Solomon grabbed him and started shaking. Solomon said, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so scared brinkley took solomon outside and handed him over to a deputy from the rockdale county sheriff's department on august 11th 1999 judge schneider determined that solomon would be tried in rockdale county superior court on 21 felony charges and if he was uh, convicted of all of those charges he faced up to 351 years in prison wow during the hearing um it was argued that Solomon, who had been taking Ritalin since the fourth grade, had the maturity of an 11-year-old. Oh, wow. Um, he, uh, he warned, this is his uh, attorney, that if Solomon was put in the adult system, he would one day try to kill himself. Now, he did try to commit suicide a few, a few times when he was in prison. Um, so, Snyder partly based his decision on the fact that the shooting seemed to be a copycat shooting, which... Dur. Yeah. Uh, Solomon had left a suicide note at his home on that morning in which he expressed allegiance to his brothers and sisters related to the trench coat, trench coat mafia yeah definitely copycat in his mind these individuals included eric harris and dylan klebold the shooters in the columbine massacre when discussing that event with friends at school solomon had stated that he was a, a better gunman than either harris or klebold and that such a massacre should have happened a long time ago at heritage high school okay yeah. Did
1: nobody report that
0: i guess not you know this is i 100 percent would report yeah. something like that yeah So uh, Solomon never did really clarify his motive for the shooting. Um, But according to some of his friends, he was depressed and upset over a fight and a breakup he had with his girlfriend. Uh, Her name was Kara Ward. Ward had been the same age as Solomon when the shootings took place. And according to her, she and Solomon had not broken up, but had simply just had a fight. The fight was over the fact that according to Ward, Solomon was uh, uncommunicated. it's, i cannot see he was not a good communicator right, let's just okay. say <laughs> solomon however perceived this fight as a breakup for whatever reason so on october 2nd 2000 uh, 2000 solomon pleaded both guilty and guilty but mentally ill to our all charges against him so, um at the November hearing, Judge Nation, who was a big deal, maybe still is in Rockdale County. He's been around forever. You know, the judge, mm-hmm. no? Um, Nation sentenced Solomon to 40 years on charges of aggravated assault. Nation told Solomon at the sentence hearing that he would be eligible for parole in 18 years. The Georgia Bo- uh, Board of Pardon pardons and paroles told Solomon in May that he would not be considered for pardon until he had served 36 years of his sentence so in a lot of ways T.J. Solomon was not a typical school shooter
1: but
0: you know one of the boys in Columbine I wouldn't say would have been your typical school shooter so
1: if it wouldn't have been for a heavy influence of
0: a fucking nut job yeah
1: he probably would have ended up just killing himself probably yeah
0: or you know maybe something positive would have happened in his life and he would have just been okay a lot yeah. of kids go through depression and a weird stage you know what i mean
1: yeah but his was
0: kind of a lot more weird yeah than the norm for sure so solomon lived in a neighborhood full of like two hundred fifty thousand dollar houses and we're talking 1999 so this was like a nice nice neighborhood yeah. i remember where he lived um where was it uh, I want to say it was over off 138. I want to say it was like Martha's Vineyard
1: or one of those. Oh, real my nice. dad loves that neighborhood. So
0: I, I could be wrong. I'll have to look it up, but it was one of those nice neighborhoods. That seems like a heritage place. Yeah. 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 So I could be wrong. I don't know. I'll have to look it up, but I, it was one of those type of neighborhoods. Cause I remember like seeing the houses and stuff and I had friends those that lived nice in houses, yeah. Martha's Vineyard. Um, So before he moved to Conyers, Solomon and his family had lived in North Carolina, and he was a member of the Boy Scouts, he went to the YMCA, and he spent a lot of time with his stepfather. Even in Conyers, uh, he had a lot of friends, he was still a Boy Scout, he went to church, and he was involved in sports. His stepfather, who he lived with, also made sure that he took a gun safety class. And he was, again, an excellent shot. Which explains why his friends believe that he had no intention to kill anyone on May 20th. And if he had wanted to kill someone, he had the the gun skills to do it. Uh, Solomon was released in 2016. Now, I remember when he was released. And a lot of people locally were not happy. And uh, they should have not been, yeah. But, I mean in my opinion he served 20 years he was a kid when he did this shit I think I think he served his time he didn't kill anyone um I think he served his time I do and uh as far as I know nothing has happened since he's been out so you know it's I mean I, I know a lot of people.
1: years though huh it's only been four years though. since he's been out mm-hmm. yeah I know
0: But he was a kid, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people that were injured or have a family member that was injured by this don't agree with that and probably were very upset to see him come out. But he served nearly 20 years.
1: Yeah, you know. Well, I just hope he got like psychiatric help. Absolutely. I think if you can shoot up a school, you definitely have something majorly wrong with you. Yeah, for sure. I've been extremely pissed at students at my school, Mm -hmm. like like where I just hated their guts, Mm -hmm. but I never thought about murdering them or even injuring them in any type of way. So right.
0: So yeah, he was released in 2016, and he remained under community supervision through May of 2019. What does that mean? Um, i guess just had like close watch on him you know for those 3 years but uh he's currently serving 20 years probation so
1: well okay well the 20 years probation's not a bad thing oh yeah for sure i think that's fair i guess that's acceptable so. i mean he, nobody died so i mean they can't really yeah
0: Um, Additionally, he's prohibited, of course, from being on the grounds of any public school um, system in Georgia and prohibited prohibited from contacting any of the victims, like, of course. (laughs) Um, And he served 17 years and two months of the 20-year prison sentence. I I think that's fair. I do. Um, Again, some people may not agree with me, but, you know, if he was rehabilitated, you know mentally
1: there and hopefully he was well considering our prison systems suck i doubt he was rehabilitated probably came out more traumatized Uh, but maybe maybe he won't do anything who knows Uh, well let's let's pray not but yeah uh
0: that's all i've got today and uh i hope we all learned something
1: today because i certainly did i learned a lot good And now I'm even more scared. (laughs) Oh, don't be. For my son's sake. I mean, I'm out of high school, but. I know. I can't imagine like, especially now that, you know, like that one school shooting that just happened Mm recently-ish. Like either early, I think it was like last year. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there are kids like texting their parents being like, there's a school (sighs) shooter, like, I love you, mom, you know, blah, blah. It's horrifying. Or like they would talk about how they're like all cuddled up, huddled up in a like a like a closet, and they could just hear the gunshots going off. And That's what
0: they do. But like I remember sitting in class and like being like, legit, my ass is busting a window and jumping out. I don't care how, how high up I am. And if I was a teacher, I'd be like, jump out the window, yeah, get out of this classroom. Yep. Like, don't hide in a fucking closet. What? <laughs>
1: like, yeah, you're literally just sitting ducks. But then on the other hand, if you, like, break out the window, they could come outside and start shooting these kids that are running. You know what?
0: Jump and run as fast as you fucking can. At least you tried. Run in zigzags. That's right. So, uh,
1: yeah. Do you want to take a quick break? Let's take a quick break and, uh, yeah. Okay.
0: This episode is sponsored by Rustic Peach. Rustic Peach is a small business owned by self-proclaimed crunchy mom, Jessica Armstrong.
1: They offer over 20 different items, including lip balms, body products, and luxury candles made with pure soy. All of their items are handmade in small batches by a certified aromatherapist, using only sustainable and clean ingredients. All of their fragrances are free of phthalates and parabens.
0: I have purchased tons of items from Jessica, and I seriously cannot say that I've had a single complaint. And the fact that everything is natural makes it 10 times better. I've actually got one of her candles burning right now.
1: As you can imagine, packing your entire life and business away and moving it across the country can be insanely difficult. Let's help support Jessica at her new home base with the holidays coming.
0: You can reach rusticpeach.com by email at rusticpeachnaturals at gmail.com. She's also on Instagram at rusticpeachnaturals and on Facebook at facebook.com slash rusticpeachga. Be sure to check out her website at rusticpeachga.com. Use code JUICER for 20% off your purchase at checkout. That's r u s t i c p-e-a-c-h-g-a dot com. Again, use code JUICER for twenty percent off at rusticpeachga.com.
1: All right, welcome back, guys. Part two. um. So today I am continuing on with Scientology. Honestly, when I first started this, I was super interested mm-hmm. in it. And now I'm just like, mm-hmm. so next week, um, I'm still going to cover a few more things about Scientology. But next week, I'm going to probably do something more murder-esque because I'm kind of getting tired of listening to Scientology podcasts and mm-hmm. watching Scientology documentaries.
0: It is super interesting, but as many episodes as this is going to take, you're probably going to want to breather in between sometimes.
1: Right. I think I might only do one more after this. Like, there's so much that goes on, like so much that goes on, but um, I think the fair game that I'm going to talk about today, and then there's actually a missing person in Scientology that nobody knows where they're at. I think those are just the three main points that I do want to cover. Okay. But today I'm covering um, the abuses that happen in Scientology, um, specifically by David Miscavige, who is the chairman of the board of the Religious Technology Center in Scientology. So basically he's like the face, the head of Scientology since L. Ron Hubbard, you know, passed away. Okay. Um, so this abuse happens at a place called the Gold Base, And um, I'll kind of get more into that later. But um, it's basically like the headquarters of Scientology. And if you are not at the gold base, you don't know where the gold base is. Hmm. So you have to be like the elite of the elite to be there. Yeah, And it's where they um, film all of their Scientology promotional videos. So nobody knows where this is. I mean, like... Former Scientologist who used to... But, you know, like, there's there. no public knowledge to where it is? I don't know. Um, okay. I mean, like, we saw, like, uh, like there's pictures of it online, but, like, Leah um, Remini was saying, like, she had no idea where it was when she was a Scientologist. But, like, I guess if you are in Scientology because you are so, like, restricted from the world, you probably don't know where it is. Okay. But, like, you and I could probably Google yeah. where it is, so. So, um... A little bit about David Miscavige. Um, Like I said, he is the chairman of the board of the Religious Technology Center in Scientology. He refers to himself as the Pope of Scientology. Oh. Yeah. And during all these cases of abuse, like Leah Remini and Mike Rinder and all of them will be like, it would be like if the Pope punched you in the face, like in Catholicism. Yeah. But it's like, the Pope, like... Molest children and <laughs> stuff. So, so. it's right. like it's like I don't know. Anyways, um, so David is the man in charge, and like he determines like what is good Scientology and what is bad Scientology. Like if you are executing Scientology correctly, or if you are, you know, like half-ass doing it, or if like what you are doing is just not good for Scientology. Like he is the final say. He is the judge and the jury. Okay. Um, Leah Remini says that David runs the church with fear. And Mike Rinder says that he is the undisputed dictator of Scientology. So obviously not a good guy. Mm -hmm. So um, my information for this came from two different episodes of Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath. Um, The first one that I'm going to be talking about is about a guy named Jeff Hawkins who personally went through abuse with David Miscavige. He worked like right under David Miscavige. And this was episode five of season one. Okay. So, um, Jeff Hawkins is currently a former Scientologist and he was in Scientology for 30 years. And after he got out, he ended up writing a book about the abuses of the church called counterfeit dreams um so jeff hawkins got into scientology in the late 60s 60s and he described himself as like a hippie who was like searching for spiritual awareness you know he was mm-hmm. trying to find like the meaning of life or whatever mm-hmm. um, and someone introduced him to scientology and he instantly was like wow I believe in afterlife's, or I believe in reincarnation, or multiple lives, or whatever you may call it, and, you know, this was a mix of spirituality and, like, sci- science mm-hmm. just mushed together, and it just made sense to him, and so he was like, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to believe, so... He ended up signing a billion-year contract <laughs> <laughs> with the Sea Organization in Scientology, and I've explained what the Sea Organization Sea Organization is. I was going to make it its what like its whole episode, but um, I don't really want to anymore. But basically, it's like <laughs> I guess the best way to describe it it's like um, people in the Sea Org sign these billion-year contracts and they devote, like, you know, 24-7, 365 days a year for a billion years to Scientology. And that's all they do is just eat, breathe, drink Scientology. mm mm-hmm. um, So Jeffs um, was the marketing guru in Scientology. Um. And he is the one who started the whole Dian- Dianetics campaign in the 80s. And it was very successful. So in that episode, Jeff Hawkins like goes on to explain how David physically assaulted him five separate times. Um, Mike Rinder was a witness at the most memorable, memorable assault that Jeff faced by David Miscavige. Wow so what happened was is jeff had written an infomercial for dianetics just like he had done many times before this was nothing new all of his infomercials and things like that were very successful so he just did what he did sent it up to david miscavige and then for whatever reason david calls jeff up to the conference room where 30 to 40 scientology executives were present Now, this is all at the gold base, okay? The gold base is, like, where David Miscavige, like, lives. This is, like, his domain. This is his territory. If you are at the gold base, you are directly under his rule. Mm -hmm. So, um, the conference room is referred to as the hole. And we'll kind of get more into that later, but the hole is, like, not where you want to be. It's, like, a very... Yeah, it doesn't sound like a very (laughs) pleasant place. So David Miscavige starts reading Jeff's script for the infomercial. And he starts making fun of it and, like, mocking him and just being, like, really sarcastic and mean about it. And so Jeff was like, sir, if I could just explain. And David goes off on him saying, see, you see how he talks to me? All I want to hear from you are your crimes. Why don't you tell people what your crimes are and so a crime in scientology are things like not applying scientology correctly prosecuting a scientologist or talking bad about a senior scientologist or a c-work member mm-hmm. and they say that if you are accused of a crime in scientology you know you have to go to like the auditing um Whatever, and you have to be audited for literally however long it takes for you to admit to a crime. So it's basically forcing you to admit to something that you may or may not have done. And a lot of the times, I don't think these people did it. They just—they're
0: like being brainwashed
1: into saying they did. Well, I think it's like they have to pay to be audited, so it's like <laughs> you're gonna run out of money soon. Oh, like shit. you just start saying it so you can be done with it, right? You know, and um it's been said that David Miscavige would literally just, like, be in a room full of Scientologists and be like, these two people have committed grave crimes. When I come back, they better have confessed to these crimes or, like, it's not going to be pretty or whatever. And then when I come back, I expect them to have black eyes. Oh, my God. Basically, these people will, like start turning against those couple of people and like beat the shit out of them because in their heads they're like if i don't attack him it's gonna come back to me and i'm it's either beat or be beat oh. pretty much so oh, oh. yeah so david starts getting himself like more and more worked up and then he jumps up onto the fucking table like an idiot like a maniac and launches himself at jeff knocks Jeff back against the um, partition wall and then starts punching him in the face. Wow. And then knocks him down onto the floor. What a standout guy. This is who I want to follow. Right. So David starts... Oh, uh, that that's what I just read. So everyone in the room just like sat there and watched it happen. They did nothing about it because if they were to speak out, that would be a crime.
0: Yeah, and then they're going to get their ass beat.
1: Right. And in their minds, it's like... Because they asked Jeff, they're like, you know, when this was going on, like, did you think it was wrong? Like, were you upset about this? And he was like, you know, not really. Like, I mean, of course nobody wants to be punched and abused or whatever. But, in, like, they're so brainwashed that in his mind, he was like, if David Miscavige is upset, then I obviously deserve this punishment. If I upset him this much, I deserve the punishment. So, that's really sad. Um, Jeff explains that on a separate occasion, David knocked him down onto the floor and and asked him if he knew why he did that. And Jeff replied by saying, no, sir. And David said, to show you who's boss. Oh. So, he would just do that shit just... Being a bully. Just because, yeah. Just to be a bully. Gross. Um, Jeff also said in the episode that he was talking to a former... I think he said somebody in the Navy Mm -hmm. about these abuses. And the guy was like, oh, no, if that happened to me, I would knock that guy flat on his ass, blah, 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 blah. And Jeff was like, okay, but, like, what if an admiral did this to you? Right. And then that guy was like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. So that's how they – like, to us, it's silly. Yeah. Like, this whole thing is silly. But to them, it's serious. It would be like being in the military and, like – a higher up screaming at you and just being crazy to you, and you would not say anything, yeah, because that is your higher up, that's your superior. Yeah. So, the Gold Base is the international headquarters of Scientology in Riverside County, California. Its official name is Golden Era Productions. Like I said, that's where they film all their weird Scientology promotions. Where um, Tom Cruise goes to record his commercials. I guess so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and actually, I read an article, which I didn't really like. Read the article. I just saw like in the description, or you know, whatever. Um, that Leah Remini said that Tom Cruise has participated in the abuses of Scientologists. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, the gold base represents the peak of Scientology and the teachings of L. Ron Hubbard. So, like, this is the place to be, pretty much. Uh, CNN's Andrew Cooper has reported on the allegations of abuse within the Church of Scientology. And these allegations were made by former executives who lived at the gold base. Um, Scientology refers to the gold base as paradise on earth and it is beautiful this place is gorgeous it truly is just it used to be a golf course so the grass is beautiful everything about it just looks super beautiful but um This is how they want it to be represented to the public and even to Scientologists. But according to ex-Scientologists, it's everything but paradise. It's literally a prison. Yeah. It's a beautiful prison. It's hell. Yeah. So, um, in this episode, um, this was season three, episode seven. Okay. There's a guy who... um, I think I'll be talking about two of... The people who were there in this episode there was like jeff hawkins was in it there was a married couple and then i think there was another lady but i just took what two people were saying because they were the ones that were just talking the most and i was trying to condense this down enough yeah. um but it's um mark and claire i don't know if they pronounce it Headley or hadley but it's like h-e-a-d-l-y or l-e-y something like that um so i'm just gonna call them Headley. Yeah, Headley, because that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So, Mark Headley, who was a Sea Org member for 16 years and eventually lived at the Gold Base, talks about a procedure called renovations. Hmm. And renovations is basically something that they did every Saturday. And it's insane.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> my, my mind is wandering.
1: It's where they would install ultra barrier. And this was a two to three inch razor barrier. Mm. You can see pictures of it. A razor barrier that would go on all of the fences, like surrounding the gold base. So basically, like, you couldn't get in and you, you couldn't get out. out. Yeah, it's like literally like if this is the fence, if razor's coming this way and razor's coming out that way. Just I'm on both telling sides. you, these folks are hiding something well they do horrible shit i'm sure they've probably murdered people it's just yeah it's crazy but really all of this is david miscavige doesn't want people getting out of the gold base not for scientology's sake but for his sake because he has abused hundreds and hundreds of people like he doesn't want that getting out he could go to prison for the
0: i am looking at this bladed fence dude we are posting a picture of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks like goddamn butcher knife blades <laughs> sticking out of a fence. Yeah, they
1: was like knives just stick, sticking out of a fence. What it's insane. the actual fuck. It's also been said that, um, like, this place was built specifically for L. Ron Hubbard, who wanted a safe space to be. And so I think originally maybe that is why... It's so he could go in there and just be undisturbed. Mm-hmm. But I think when David Miscavige took over, it he turned it into a prison, into a hellhole. Wow. Yeah. So he also talks about how they would put microphones in the ground outside of the property, motion sensors on the fences, and there were floodlights installed all around the entire property. So that if someone were to escape, they could light up the whole entire base like a football field. Holy shit. So they could see everything. Like you There was no sneaking around in the dead of night. Oh my gosh. They have motorbikes and SUVs that can drive on all road types. So if you were to escape, they would instantly know and have a very easy time catching you. I'm totally listening, but I'm looking at these pictures. They have snipers. Yeah, they have a lot of shit, dude. Dude! Oh, my God. <clears throat> Another scary thing is that the Gold Base is, like, four to five miles away from, like, the nearest civilization. So, even if, like, you did escape and got away from the vehicles and the people, it would be, like, a really long walk before you could get anywhere. Wow. Wow. All incoming and outgoing mail is opened and read. Well, of course. So they can catch any type of warning sign that someone is about to try and break free. Or if anyone is talking about the abuses that go on at the gold base. Yeah. If someone outside of the gold base mailed in a phone, if they're like, hey, you know, like I really haven't heard from you in like two years. <laughs> Besides these letters, Mm -hmm. like, here's a phone. Call me. It would, like, instantly be confiscated. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, However, there is an internal phone system. But the problem with this phone system is that, number one, all the calls are monitored and listened in on. Yeah. Two, it's like, you know how back in the old days, like, when phones first became a thing and you had to, like, call the operator and be like, connect Mm -hmm. me to this person? Mm Mm-hmm. It's basically the same thing. You would call the receptionist. It's literal prison. Yeah. Yeah. And you would tell the receptionist the number of the person that you wanted to call. They would dial it and then connect you with that person. And then people would be listening in on your conversation. So, <sighs>
0: um,
1: If you get caught trying to escape, you get put on what they call the decks, which is basically where you'd be like digging ditches, building block walls, pouring concrete, just doing like heavy manual labor. And they did this to you so that it breaks down your will to try and escape again. Cause they're like, you know, if I get caught, I'm going to have to do this for another like four months. Mm-hmm. Um, so the gold base also has something called blow drills. <laughs> And it's used on anyone who tries to escape. The crew of about 50 people on the property each have an assigned task during a blow drill. And this is fucking insane to me. Like, out of everything, I think this is the most insane.
0: I'm trying to figure out how it gets more crazy.
1: (laughs) So, if somebody were to escape, let's say they were able to hop that razor fence and just hightail it out of here. Whether they took a car or whatever however they decided to escape a group of people would go to the nearest bus station to try and catch you there some of these people would go to the nearest airport some of them would call the taxi companies to see if you know a taxi had been called in the area they go to all the local hotels and hospitals um if the the person who has escaped happened to have a phone somehow they'll log into the phone account and find the numbers that have been called recently to try and figure out if one of these people were in on the escape they'll even send someone to a relative's house just to sit outside and wait to see if they'll potentially show up and then what do they do with you they drag you back oh my god when they find the escapee they usually use like a close friend or like if you have a relative in scientology to like you know like a someone that you trust and this person will try and talk you into coming back Mm -hmm. to the gold base um there was this one girl i can't i should have wrote down her name but she was giving her testimony about how she had escaped from gold base and they physically dragged her back physically dragged her back
0: And you said there's nothing the police
1: can do about any of this. Oh, they haven't done anything. It's insane. So I don't know. So Mike Rinder says in this episode that every morning that he had to report to David Miscavige, the first thing that David would ask is, who blew? He was extremely paranoid about someone leaving the property because he knew he could get in a lot of fucking trouble. And Mark Henley had escaped. Him and Claire both escaped from the gold base. And um, so this is what's insane to me. is like they're a married couple. And they had explained how even though they had been married, they never they could never spend time together. Like they worked opposite schedules. So he would work, you know, like... These different times, and then he'd come home, and then by the time he was asleep, you know, his wife would come home, or you know, just be complete polar opposite. Yeah, like in the 13 years that they had been married, or however many years it was, she had never cooked him a meal because she just couldn't. And so they are so dedicated that, like, when Mark started having like doubts about the whole thing about Scientology. And like would express these to claire she would report it what yeah Mm. that's just how he she reported him at least three times for making statements like that but then at one point and i can't remember what was the turning point but they decided that they were going to leave together and so something happened i don't really remember i think like something happened with him and he was like fuck it, I'm leaving tonight. So as soon as he gets home, I think he said he had a couple hundred dollars in his pocket, he had a a motorcycle, and he was supposed to be going somewhere, like, across the street, or, or I don't even know. Anyways, he escaped. And he is driving away, and a fucking Scientology SUV comes up behind him, and they're, like, trying to ram him off the road. My God. And... Thankfully, this was a saving grace. Some passerbys, like, saw the incident mm-hmm. and uh, reported it to the police. Mm-hmm. And um, the Scientologists were, like, trying to talk him into coming back. And <laughs> Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> we just ran you off the road. Come back, please. Yeah, literally. And um, he was like, no, I'm not going back. And something happened, and the Scientology van, like, goes away, and a police man comes up and he's like, Hey, uh, I just had this reported to me. Mm-hmm. And Mark was like, Oh, they were just some friends, you know, like he was scared. Altercation. Well, his wife was still at the gold base. Oh, so yeah. he didn't want her to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So he just was like, you know, but had he reported it, they probably could have gone, killed her. Well, like the police could have gone to like the gold base and done something, but he was scared. You know? And so then Claire ended up like the next day or a few days later, she went to Lens Crafters to get glasses. And I'll talk about this more, but when you leave, you have to have a buddy to go with you so that you can't escape. Mm-hmm. She did end up escaping. She goes to a bus station. These Scientologists are there and they're like, Claire, we need you to come back with us. And she's like, No. And mm-hmm. she sat down on the floor. And she refused to go. And had it not been busy, they would have dragged her back. Yeah. So she was able to escape. And she made it to where Mark was. Wow. It's crazy. Like I mean,
0: I imagine you would, like, have to change your name and, like, everything. They
1: didn't. But Hmm. I'm sure some people do. Yeah. I would just be so afraid they would, like, mess with my family or, you know. Oh, and they do. With fair game, they would. For sure. So Mark Henley explains that if you truly want to leave the gold base, you have to be willing to be a bum on the street because like you don't have anything to your name. You don't have an education. You don't have money your family may like have stopped talking to you because like they think you're a wacko or you disconnected from them because that's what you do in scientology when non-scientologists you know don't agree with you you Mm -hmm. disconnect from them so Mm -hmm. you might have to live on the streets or something who knows like if you want it that badly you have to accept that you were going to be starting from absolutely nothing sounds better than being there i agree So anytime you wanted to go anywhere at all outside of the base, you had to write a petition, um, which was called a completed staff work. And then you turn it into your superiors to get their approval. And a lot of times it's denied. If you were considered a risk, they would not okay it. So you could not leave. But if you weren't a risk, you had to bring a buddy with you pretty much, and um, a lot of times you had to pay in order to have this buddy come with you. So, you're paying, like, an astronomical amount of money to to have a a babysitter. Right,
0: yeah.
1: Right, yeah. Jeff Hawkins talks about how his, um, uh, I think he said his mother died, and he wanted to go to her memorial service, and they would not let him go. Wow. So... They're like you know why do you care she she's dead anyways like why do you have to go she's dead uh. they don't give a fuck about you um so everyone on the base is trained on how to speak to authorities in any circumstance and it's called the international base security and pr course it teaches you how to lie to the authorities. You have to take a course on it. Yeah. It's the first thing you do when you get to gold base is you have to take this course. Because they don't want Scientology looking bad. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously... Like, with all of this out, I don't understand, like, why something can't be done about these freaks. I don't know. I mean, like, there's no, like, solid evidence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's all hearsay. And the thing is, like... When you leave Scientology, you can leave informally, and then you're just fair-gamed, and it's just not a good thing. It's just really hard. But you can leave respectfully, but you have to sign an affidavit about, like you know your time in Scientology and, and so like a lot of these people have affidavits saying that nothing ever happened to them that this was not going on at the gold base mm-hmm. that you know David Miscavige Miscavige has never physically harmed them or they've never seen him physically harm people or mm-hmm. so there's literally affidavits about mm-hmm. you know how it's the perfect religion pretty much right. and so then they're like you know going on the aftermath and, you know, podcasts and writing books and blogs about something completely different, but an affidavit is literally a legal contract or a legal document, so. Right. And the church literally, like, if you watch the aftermath, they'll, um, so, like, Mark and Claire will be talking about X incident, and then the fucking Church of Scientology will have, like you know so they'll be talking about a guy who like a specific guy who who they watched being abused by David Miscavige and then that person who is still in Scientology writes an affidavit about how it never happened and that they're lying and it's rubbish and it's this and it's that and you know they're completely happy in Scientology so it's like are you going to trust these people who are now contradicting their affidavit or are you going to trust the person who yeah yeah so, that's why. Um. So the whole. So Claire Headley notes that she's seen thousands. Thousands, of abuse cases involving David Miscavige, where he's punching, shoving, slapping, strangling, etc. Does he do
0: anything else in life?
1: <laughs> lies just abuses
0: people, people. What? all day every day
1: yeah um and and they say that they've never really seen david miscavige do this to anybody except for the executives of scientology mike Rinder was an executive of scientology and he suffered lots of abuse from david miscavige wow um Again, Mark Henley talks about an instance where David Miscavige put his arms around two Scientology executives' heads, like, like this, mm-hmm. and squeezed them together so tightly that the veins in his face were popping out, and his arms and his face were beat red, and the two executives, their ears were bleeding afterwards. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God! So fucked up shit. Um. Claire Headley describes another incident where David turned the hearing aids all the way up in one person's ear so that a loud screeching sound was like right in this dude's eardrum pretty much. That's horrible. And Mike Rinder talks about being in the hole where there was basically a competition on who could write the best affidavits about what a wonderful guy David Miscavige is. Aww. They did this thinking that whoever wrote the best essay would be able to get out of the hole because what happens when you get in the hole is you're locked in there. You are trapped. Like, Mike Rinder was in there for two years. Wow. You can't leave. Like, this is, like if you are just under David Miscavige's radar, that's where he fucking throws you. I'm sure
0: you'll probably talk
1: about this, but, like, what are the
0: conditions in the hole?
1: You know, I don't really know. I haven't really, like, gotten too much detail about that. I do know that Mike Render one time talked about how, like, you know, there's a really long conference table in there, and there's, like, you know, industrial, like, carpet in there, Mm -hmm. and they were all made to get on their hands and knees and crawl around the conference table for fucking hours. And he said that like, boot camp. yeah, and he said like your knees and your palms would just be bleeding and they could never heal because you're just doing that over and over again for hours for days.
0: I'm imagining just like the most awful, horrible, horrific prison you could imagine.
1: I think it's like a normal building, Mm -hmm. but they just throw you in there and you're just in there with all these people who
0: probably sleeping on top of each other and nothing nice about it.
1: Yeah. It might look nice, but it's basically just a, hmm. a torture house. I don't hmm. know. Um, I kind of want to read and see like what it's like inside of there. I did see... Let's see here. There's an article in here. Scientology...
0: Oh, so the first thing I see is they lived in degrading conditions, eating and sleeping in cramped spaces designed for office use. Um, Double-wide trailers within a Scientology compound joined together to form a suite of offices. Um,
1: Yeah, when you, like, look at... um the Church of Scientology
0: has denied and says that there is no hole and it does not exist and never has.
1: That's literally like my last line in my notes is Scientology does deny it, but all these people who have experienced it or who have seen it or who have even just been at the gold base, they're like, yeah, those two double wide trailers put together, that's the hole. And you can see it in the pictures. That is horrible. A lot of beatings happen there.
0: So they have to work sixteen hours a day. Mm-hmm. No cell phones, internet access, mail is censored.
1: Oh my god. And then they're talking about the razor wire. Yep. Mm. Um, my or in the uh episode it was saying that um like p- typically like these executives that are put in the hole. Mm-hmm. They'll, you know, they're trying to do anything to get out of the hole. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be in there. I mean, my grinder was in there for two fucking years. They sleep in
0: sleeping bags squeezed into every available floor space or on desktops.
1: Yeah. Holy shit. Yep. Mm. But, um, they were saying that, um, literally, so they'll be in there and they're, like, trying to be on their best behavior so they can get out Mm -hmm. and david miscavige will like these executives are like the faces of scientology like they're the spokesmen and they're you know like prominent figures of scientology that people know like even outside of scientology people know who these people are Mm -hmm. and david miscavige will pull them out every once in a while to go do like an infomercial or to go speak somewhere and you know these people are like trying to put like their a game out there trying to seem like you know i'm so pro scientology and trying to make david miscavige look so good Mm in hopes that they would get out of the hole yeah then david miscavige will just fucking throw them back in there it's fucked up dude Mm -hmm.
0: there are people
1: like executives there who um um in one of the podcast episodes about fair game um This woman's like trying to, she knows like her, I think it's her uncle is being abused there and he's like old and has health problems and she can't get in contact with him. And he, um, she like tried to make a welfare check on him and the police went in there and said that everything was completely fine because they're so brainwashed and they're so fucking scared that they can't tell this police officer, like, take me with you, (sighs) you know? It's really sad. Mm. And he Uh denied even knowing her because I'm sure that's what Scientology wanted him to do.
0: I just read that it gets up to 106 degrees inside. And that basically the, the entire time they're there are being forced to admit to doing things that they've never done. Yep. Like stealing money, having affairs, things of that nature. Just... Ooh, um, disclosing their sexual fantasies, just tortured. They eat slop.
1: Yep, that's what um, what I was saying about the like the auditing. Yeah, they're like you know trying to make you confess to X Y Z or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's in the hole that that is happening. Oh God, I hate it. Yeah, there's a lot more to it. I just really. This, I knew this episode was going to be long, so I tried to condense it as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I really, like I said last episode, like, go watch the documentary. Like, they're, they have so much just in-depth detail about the horrors of this place and, like, how horrible David Miscavige is. Like, he is not a good guy.
0: He needs to just be arrested. I think there's plenty of evidence. <laughs> like, Well, well like, he- a
1: lot of people are coming together saying... This is happening.
0: Like, affidavit or not. Police need to bust their ass in there and see. Yeah.
1: Well, like I said in last episode, you know, they say that everything in Scientology, everything that happens, everything that David Miscavige says is recorded and transcribed. And if they were to raid it and look through the files, Mm -hmm. they would be able to arrest it and shut it down. It all sounds very simple. And it makes me
0: wonder, I think you said last episode that maybe the police had something to do with it.
1: Oh, I definitely think that, yeah. They're
0: involved some way mm-hmm. or another. I think
1: Scientology is paying them off because mm-hmm. Scientology is a billion-dollar religion,
0: cult, Wh- whatever. Well, I, guess I was about to say, where are they getting this money from? But I guess the people that... The people? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm. From that and I guess from, like, doing their infomercials and having ads and, you know who knows dude who knows shit hurts my brain it's fucking insane and these people are no doubt traumatized oh yeah from being there like think about being in there all your life and then having to step into the real world and then realizing that you just dedicated like potentially half of your life most of your life to a cult that's doing absolutely nothing for Humanity—it's mm-hmm. insane. I think actually, next Scientology episode, I'm going to talk about how they're taking over a fucking city in Florida called Clearwater, Florida. Yeah, and literally, it's just a ghost town there because Scientology—they're trying to make it like the first ever like actual Scientology town, like a or city. In. Yeah, but it's just deserted because there's Clearwater? like twenty thousand Thousand members in Scientology and in Clearwater. No, like in oh, in general. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's in the world or in America, but it's really crazy. Like a lot went down in Clearwater, like in the nineties or the eighties. I can't remember which one it was, but it's 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 in it's crazy. <laughs> it's uh, mm, mm. it is crazy. Also. The missing person in Scientology is David Miscavige's wife. She hasn't been seen in over a decade. What? Because she started to question Scientology. And she just disappeared. People don't know if she's dead or alive.
0: Yeah. I'm assuming she lived with him in the Scientology whatever? Yeah. They lived together. Okay. Why are police not investigating where she went?
1: Supposedly, Leah Remini wanted a welfare check. Mm -hmm. on Shelly Miscavige because she hadn't seen her. It was that the reason why Leah got out of Scientology is because at Tom Cruise's wedding Shelly Miscavige wasn't there. She is the fucking wife of David Miscavige, the head of Scientology, and she wasn't there. So Leah was like, where's Shelly? And she got in so much trouble for asking where Shelly is. She had to, you know, confess her crimes and to go to auditing for however she was, you know, treated like an enemy because of it. And so, like after years of like her emailing Shelly and being like, "Hey, haven't heard from you. You usually reply instantly. It's been two years.
0: Mm.
1: Where are you?" She, you know, I think it had been six years in total that she went and she went to the police and she was like, "Hey, um, this person's missing." Can't figure out where she's at. And apparently the police said that they saw her or talked to her and that she was fine. But
0: who knows? Okay, that's horrifying. Yeah, you definitely need to um, touch on that.
1: Yeah, she's going to have a whole episode because... Wow. I'm just saying, guys, there's a lot more to this. There's a lot more that I'm even saying to you, but it's just so much information. I... I probably should have made these like their own standalone episodes, but it's a lot. Yeah. So that's all I have for today. The Gold Base is a prison. David Miscavige is an abuser. Um, Scientology is a cult. Um, don't join it.
0: And they claim the uh, hole doesn't exist.
1: They they literally, but everybody's like, no, it does. Uh. And they all can identify it. And they're like, this is the hole. So, Eek. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, contact us about wanting an ad, and we will write your name down. Remember, you have to pay before the end of December in order to get your ad. We will list pricing
0: on our Facebook and Instagram page, so keep an eye out.
1: Yes, and I feel like there was another thing... Another thing. It's good to be back. I've it is us. good to be back. I'm excited <laughs> now for next week, even though I have no idea what I'm doing yet. Same. Same.
0: I have some ideas, but we shall see. I do too.
1: Maybe we could have a theme for next week. Yeah. We could come up with a theme. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay, well, um, you can join our Facebook group at For God's Sake Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Oh follow our instagram at don't drink the jones juice our tiktok at don't drink the jones juice buy our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the jones juice is that it i always feel like i forget one that's it yeah yeah okay i think i want to make a twitter really for this just for this though i feel like it could really reach people you think maybe okay i don't know okay i guess that's it for god's sake don't drink the jones juice